0: Welcome to the Oddcast, tales of teaching and hands-on learning at Hendrix College. Season 3 was recorded in the weeks directly following the spring closure of Hendrix due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Like everyone else, we were learning and adjusting to the new normal. We appreciate your understanding, and please
1: enjoy the Oddcast.
0: Good. um so yeah. um yeah I guess let's jump into your yes. project so I'm super glad that you could join me today because I'm very interested in your project and I also will say that I, I don't have much background yeah. knowledge about it um but before we we get started would you mind just sharing a little bit about you know your your time at Hendrix your major that sort of thing um for those of of our listeners who might not already Certainly. Know so
1: my name is Mackenzie Guerin and I just graduated in May 2020. Um, I created my own major. It's called social economics and it's a combination of anthropology and economics, history and politics. And I guess the way that I like to think about what I'm really learning about through that major is the social consequences of our economic systems and when I was at Hendrix, I did a ton of work with um, a local nonprofit. I was involved uh, with the Murphy Scholars Program. I studied abroad in Chile for a semester. Um, really interested in globalization and transnationalism and working to make our world better.
0: I had no idea, actually, that you made your own major. Was that it to do? It was hard to
1: a certain extent, but it was also incredibly easy. So I know that's kind of a bit of a paradox, but Mm -hmm. I had quite a bit of support from my advisor, Dr. Goldberg, who really helped me make it happen. It required quite a bit Uh of vision, I think, on my own part to know what it was that I wanted to learn about before I was learning about it. And I proposed it when I was a sophomore, so, um, you know, my major really grew a lot and I changed it quite a bit as I kept going and when I say change I mean you know the classes that were required for my major um and kind of the focus and what it meant but I'm mm-hmm. really glad that I did it it feels a little bit um, <laughs> um like a fish out of water to be graduating with a degree that <laughs> I created my sense myself in many ways but you know it required mm-hmm. me to have all kinds of skills that I think will help me in the future, I'm just hoping right now, in this moment, post-graduation, <laughs> that it will um, have been worth it, which I believe it will, but you know, it's still, it's yet to be confirmed, I would say.
0: <laughs> yes, I, I understand that um, completely. I do know of, of other Hendrix grads who did their uh-huh. own major and have are just very (laughs) successful (laughs) so you're you're part of a great group of people uh so don't stress too much about it um so when you described like the major Uh that you've made and now knowing about your project which if you could explain a little bit about would be great
1: it makes a lot of sense my project was focused on fashion and textiles within the transnational population um and I learned a ton from being in the city of London, and um, mm-hmm. I didn't expect to learn as much as I did.
0: Let's start with how did this project even come to be? Yeah, because it you know you went with a group of students, you went with mm-hmm. a professor, um,
1: and it and it's it's very unique, you know. So where did it yeah, start? It started. Um, I would say. Freshman year, uh, lots of things begin freshman year Mm in Hendrix, And I had a roommate who who loved in the morning picking out her clothes. And she would wake up and be so happy to pick out her outfit for the day. And um, this roommate is now a dear friend. And I want to say, like, her outfits were not necessarily trendy or... you know, they were entirely thrifted. She was always donating and getting new clothes and um, altering Mm -hmm. her clothes. And I just loved how much joy she got out of doing this every single day. And I started to love picking out my own clothes and, um, you know, kind of changing them, expressing myself, having my own sense of style. It just, it made me quite happy. And so, you know, I'm Thinking about this, I also have loved thrifting for so long. And one thing that I've always been fixated on was thinking about the the lives of the things that I have before they become mine. And I think that um, mm-hmm. that's something that's so fun about buying a piece and just wondering where it's been, who it's been with, what kinds of important things have happened in it. I'm very sentimental about my clothing, so I do have... Um, like a lucky shirt that I sleep in before big days you know I have (laughs) socks that I would always race in when I was a distance runner I have clothes that always accompany me on trips you know it's 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 like sometimes very neurotic and not very helpful but I think um, I am someone who has you know been attached to certain items of clothing and also um, like loved expressing myself through clothing I
0: also do the same thing where I have like a mm-hmm. flannel that I always mm-hmm. take on a trip, even if I'm going to like the warmest yeah, yeah. beach, it has to come <laughs> with me. Like
1: it's my yes. travel
0: flannel. Yes. Like- <laughs> and I like, I have so, these hiking
1: boots that are yeah. like in shambles. Like every single time I put them on, people are like, you need a new pair. But I'm like, look, I've literally walked in these, like I've walked in these boots in mm-hmm. all of these places. And like, I can't have another pair. Like I just, yeah. I know it's ridiculous, <laughs> but I just can't do it. Um. <laughs> No,
0: yeah, same thing. I have a pair of hiking boots. I'm like, these have been everywhere. <laughs> like,
1: they have touched so much different soil. Do you really think I, I could get rid of it's them? Like, <laughs> like it's such a, it's almost like a ridiculous thing to be so fixated on. Is like, you know, I think like we're in an age of like minimalism. Minimalism is like super appealing. Like not being yeah. attached to your stuff as like something that's like liberating. Because I have them yes. purposefully, and I do think know, that. So, if minimalists this, that would say that you know, I'm not a minimalist. So maybe, you know, there's minimalists out there, you can correct me, but I do think they go in tandem, you know, appreciating <laughs> the things that you do have, um, as a way of being a minimalist. And also, you know, I mm-hmm. am someone who kind of resists the kind of consumer culture, um, fast fashion. And so, you know, the idea of thrifting was so, and is so, um, appealing mm-hmm. of, you know, reusing and, um, an expression. So anyway, so that's like, this kind of yeah. like um, interest in, in clothing and something that's more than just um, perhaps like a trivial thing. I'm not someone who like, you know, talks about clothes or is like crazy into stuff like this, but just kind of this like appreciation yeah. for expression. As I move through college, you know, sophomore year, junior year, and becoming increasingly um, interested in globalization, in transnationalism, mm-hmm. in migrant populations, in the experience of Of migrating, of being displaced, um, diasporic Mm -hmm. populations. Mm -hmm. I live very close to Minneapolis-St. Paul and there are large populations of Hmong and Somali people and I worked with a lot of them in several different um, capacities growing up. So Mm -hmm. grocery stores Mm -hmm. that sell food um, for Somalians specifically, or for for different Hmong peoples. And I was working at a microfinance loan bank for the Hmong population in St. Paul. One of my jobs was to look over business proposals. I was, you know, just so interested in the kinds of businesses that I was reviewing. And so these would be basically just like a ton of diasporic of, of diaspora businesses that were for the diaspora population that were for the, the Hmong American population there, different kinds of um, lots and lots of restaurants, lots of clothing, lots of funeral homes. Hmong people have mm-hmm. a very mm-hmm. um, funerals are very important. And so um, they have uh, lots and lots of um, traditions and and things that go along with that. They're quite expensive. It just was so cool for me to see how these businesses actually were quite successful because the diaspora population supported them. And it just, it was so cool for me to see it all strung together because, mm-hmm. you know, you can have one immigrant business, for immigrants, but then you can have like an entire market. And seeing those and seeing how this population supported those businesses, but also how they were able to maintain their livelihoods because of those businesses, you know, it kind of all is woven together. Um, And, and this is another thing is that I talked to a lot of people who were of different generations. So lots and lots of young Mm -hmm. people came in like the 80s. So you know, we're talking first generation immigrants, but also children of immigrants, also people who who came before who came after this big flow. And hearing people who were older talk about how you know the sourcing of their materials really changed over time so they started when they started their their grocery store they had to drive mm-hmm. all the way to Chicago to get food <laughs> to sell their grocery store because the supply chains wouldn't like weren't connected to Minneapolis or St. Paul at that time but now they mm-hmm. are and so um, you know so then this opportunity presents itself my junior year Dr. Schwartzkopf has an Odyssey professorship that's about material culture which is um, kind of like a subfield of anthropology that's really focused on the, the stuff that we have in our lives, the culture of stuff, what stuff does for, for us, you know, the meaning of things, our relationship to them. And so I proposed this project that was about um, clothing and textiles, uh, fashion, specifically within the diasporic populations in London.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow, it really kind of, this thread really kind of wove through your maybe whole experience at home, Yeah,
1: yeah, it totally did. It totally did. Everything's connected.
0: <laughs> you all travel to London, but you're all having individual projects, correct. correct? How did you
1: land on yours? Did you work with the mm-hmm. professor to kind of develop it? Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I pretty much came up with it on my own. I would say I went through a couple different, you know, iterations of what I was looking for I really was interested Mm -hmm. in how the market worked for transnational populations in London I was kind of looking for the thing to investigate that through Um, and I landed Mm -hmm. on this ethnography that was about these Indian women who creating their own ethnic clothing in London Mm -hmm. and you know there wasn't a market that provided it for them and so they were They were making it their own. And it was all about the experience of going from, from buying the clothing where you lived and, you Mm -hmm. know, getting it that way to not having access to that. And then this, um, this like tradition, this skill being passed down in this new place and also the ways that kind of the second generation would alter their clothing to have a different like Mm -hmm. hem length or like a little different style. And the ways that those alterations were really meaningful in the sense that they reflected a new sort of place for them in this community because other people, you know, Mm -hmm. English people were not wearing those clothes. It came together. I had a lot of help from Dr. Goldberg, who's another anthropologist and Dr. Schwarzkopf in designing it. Mm -hmm. But, um, I also did like a ton of just like, um, Googling and, um, (laughs) This is really exciting for me there. I found this like anthology of like different articles that were being written about transnational fashion, but the book wasn't sent to print until like maybe February of 2019. And, you know, I was going to go in London in January. And so I emailed like all the editors um, and was like, you know, (laughs) can you send me like – like, I'm so interested in this. Like, can you send me, like, copy or whatever? And, like, some of them yeah. did, which was absolutely, like, crazy.
0: Good on you for, like, just asking, <laughs> yeah. you know? Sometimes <laughs> the solution is just to ask, like, can I have a copy yeah. before before it's available and here's why. Yeah. So it was um, really that's awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> so... You know, you you did a lot of work, it sounds like, to collect this mm-hmm. knowledge and to make sure that, that your time in London was meaningful. Mm-hmm. And from what I gather, you you explored a lot of different aspects while you were there. Yeah, I did. I did a lot. What are some of the things that you did while yeah, you were there? Yeah, so
1: London is a really fun city. And one thing to know about it is that it's enormous. And so I went to lots mm-hmm. of different neighborhoods, kind of in the outskirts of London or even in, in the city, like kind of like the city center um, that had different Kinds of textiles that corresponded to different diasporic populations. So, um, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time in shops for the Indian um, diasporic population or the Pakistani population, and they, you know, searching. You know, it was I was essentially like, um, you know, shopping for different pieces or looking at different kinds of textiles. I did the same thing in Nigerian neighborhoods. They have these very beautiful textiles. Um, that they then wrap. They, they make these like very beautiful head wraps. Um, I got a press pass to the London Fashion Week men's, which was a um, pretty fun experience. I spoke to um, mm-hmm. a bespoke fashion brand called Eponine that makes hmm. um, clothing for really, really uh, elite members of English society like the royal family out of ethnic textiles that they get from peru and thailand Mm -hmm. i also went to like the textile industry fair i was it what coincided with when i was there and so all of these different companies um from all around europe were in london and they kind of like show different their their offerings of textiles and fabrics to fashion brands who then source their material from them um And I, I just, I did all of those things. And I also went to tons of um, museums and looked at textiles. And, and I would say I did a ton of stuff, but the coolest thing about it was that I could really follow what was so interesting to me. And, um, it was Mm -hmm. so fun to explore like that. I had a lot of independence. And so I was what my mom would say, which was like really squeaky, which is like, I asked a lot of questions. (laughs) I really had nothing to lose. And, um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I learned a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it
0: sounds I mean, it kind of sounds like a, a wonderful project where you, you're right. You had a lot of independence and could kind of go where you needed mm-hmm. to go in order to, to find out the things that really interested yeah. you. So I guess, did you have any expectations of what you would find during this trip? Didn't you, didn't you find them? or did you, um,
1: did you discover something Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, It's hard to remember what I expected, but I think what I expected was along the lines of the ethnography that I had read where this anthropologist had interviewed these women and said, you know, you altered the clothing in this way. And then the women would say, yeah, this is what this means. You know, this means that Mm -hmm. I'm you know, Pakistani English. And I like my hemline to be this way. It's more fashionable for me. This is what it means for me to wear ethnic clothing as opposed to Western clothing, blah, blah, blah. And what I realized was, you know, and also a big premise in that ethnography was that there was a lot of cultural reproduction happening through clothing. So like people were Mm -hmm. making a lot of their own clothes and that sourcing the fabric for those clothes was quite difficult And so they were either having to like contact their family in India to have it sent to them or they would, um, you know, Mm. travel to India and bring it back with them when they were there visiting, Um, you know, and also talked about uh, like differences in whether or not it was their first move. So there's a a large migration pattern of people who are Indian and Pakistani moving to parts of Africa and then going to London. And so those people had different skill sets. and, And I don't know what I really realized was like the immigrant Mm -hmm. network and the immigrant marketplace specifically is super developed in London. So it was hard to see a lot of people like making their own clothes there, especially in the shops that I went to. A lot of the clothing that I Mm -hmm. saw was imported directly from India. And so these were by and large like Indian designs. And it was hard for me to tell if the designs that I was looking at in these shops were, they were, they were made in India, but I didn't know if they were made for like an Indian English audience or consumer or just an Indian audience. And um, it was pretty difficult actually to um, kind of figure that out because of the way that shopping works. It was pretty uncomfortable for me to be in a lot of those shops just because people were really wary of like why I was there. (laughs) You know, I, I was obviously not Mm -hmm. going to, Buy something, especially because these you know I was going into a lot of um, bridal shops, and so they're they, sure. these these pieces are so beautiful, they're so well done, they're quite expensive. and mm-hmm. people by and large, don't just mm-hmm. go in there and like look, so they go, you know, so I would be going and I would be observing yeah. other people shopping, and they would be really accompanied by several people in the shop that were helping them like look at what was going on and you know mm-hmm. they would have several other women with them so mm-hmm. like you know what i assume to be are like mothers and aunts and sisters that are you know kind of accompanying them you know similar to a way that maybe a woman might shop for a wedding dress now it's kind of like a whole experience and so mm-hmm. um you know people are also like wary of me like taking photographs because the competition between the shops was so steep that they didn't want you to be like comparing what what they had sure. and what they had so um a lot of times I actually like got shooed out of those shops <laughs> which which I you know was like pretty um, <laughs> you know that doesn't feel very good but um I I think I learned a lot mm-hmm. about like where I was kind of like um welcome like where it was okay for me to be someone who's asking questions and where maybe it like was less appropriate and then I went to kind of a, another higher end neighborhood and it was they had like Indian clothing that was for English women which is really interesting to me. I didn't expect to mm. find that. Um, and, you know, predictably, the clothing was really different. It was almost more about, like, the fabric than it was about, like, the design. So, you know, like, oh, like, this is silk. Mm. Um, you know, so so talking to those people, that was, you know, also something that I realized. And one thing that I that I didn't expect to find when I started this project that I did
0: was yeah. that
1: um, – I I really struggle even now to make any like conc- like large conclusions out of it I think there are so many things that are happening at mm-hmm. once in this topic in London in the world that um you know trying to say like this is what I see that's going on with this market or this experience or this kind of cultural reproduction um it's just kind of disingenuous and I think I can mm-hmm. see like after doing all this stuff that like I really am quite inexperienced (laughs) and and don't feel like I (laughs) I followed through enough to like have a full conclusion which you know might seem kind of discouraging but I actually think it's quite encouraging because I didn't want to 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 try and say something that I didn't think was like reflected what I really saw and what I really saw is like a ton of like contradiction and a lot of like this like opposite things happening at the same time uh, which can sometimes be really frustrating but I actually found it like pretty exciting
0: no I think I think actually that's a great Mm -hmm. point that you brought you're bringing up like you know that you know doing all these things doing all this research all this you know this legwork you expect to have some sort of conclusion right we're all kind of almost trained mm-hmm. in a way to expect that when you put the
1: work in an <laughs> and like if you look out, and if you like you know, look harder that sort and of you thing. look deeper that like one thing will yeah. emerge or like maybe not even one thing but like one clear kind of yes. thing like one direction and what I just found is just like all of these different things that were happening and like I loved that I loved seeing it so complicated um yeah mm-hmm.
0: and I think that's fine I think it's it's almost better for you to say, hey, guys, I actually yeah. didn't find a conclusion, you know, I, a simple tie it nicely mm-hmm. all together conclusion. And maybe that's because I didn't dig deep enough or I, you know, was kind of, yeah, I need to do a smaller yeah. question next time or something, you know, but I, there's still something to learn from that. Like I, when I hear you say that, I, I hear totally. learning and growth, yeah. honestly. Um, and that's still... As important as as, or maybe even more important than finding that that neat little, the bow at yeah. the end of yeah. the, the, the trip or something, you know, like conclusion. Oh, wow, that sentence really. Got I away totally from you. know it. You got what I was <laughs> trying to say. <laughs> um, so kind of still on that that thought, you know, you had this experience, mm-hmm. and you you grew from it. What did it shape the rest of your time at Hendrix? Does it shaping kind of what you think you want to do
1: yeah, now after that's, graduation? That's such a helpful thing. You know, when you asked to interview me about this Odyssey project, I was kind of surprised because in some ways it felt like um like like not my favorite one, certainly. <laughs> or not you know, or or not the most challenging that's okay. one that yeah. I did or not the most like the one that I would say was like the least impactful for people around me and I'm someone who who like wants to do things that improve sure. the lives of others and this project felt like pretty fundamentally in a lot of ways like self-centered um, in the sense that what I'm talking about before like nothing mm-hmm. really came of it product wise like I didn't it didn't become my thesis it didn't become you know something that I that I really did something with mm-hmm. but I learned a lot and so This is what I did with what I learned. (laughs) Um, Is that like like, (laughs) skills, I would say, like, like I said, I had to be really squeaky. I walked into all these shops and that was really hard for me. Like I would have to really like hype myself up. Um, I learned a lot about asking people, Mm -hmm. um, especially people who I didn't think would say yes. So I got tickets to go to the London Fashion Week. Because I interviewed all the designers that were showing and three of them gave me tickets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I interviewed dozens <laughs> and it didn't matter that dozens of them said no. It just mattered that a couple of them said yes. And, you know, I went to this fashion mm-hmm. show. I totally felt like I didn't belong. Um, it was like the the most intense fashion experience I've ever had in my whole life and I couldn't have done it and I I was so proud of myself for honestly just showing up because I never imagined that I would have been able to pull that off and I had nothing to lose and I think that I am you know moving into a part of my life where like I am the authority for myself on so much more than I ever have been Um, I wasn't doing that project for somebody Mm -hmm. else. I wasn't doing it under the direction of somebody else. I wasn't doing research for someone else. It was my project. And so when I would interview people, when I would go into shops and ask people questions, you know, it was my thing. And, and that was the first time that, that I had to come up with my own questions. I had to figure out my own methods. Um, Mm -hmm. nobody was giving me tasks and, um, that was so freeing, but it also was pretty intimidating. And, um, you know, there were some ways that I did it really well, but there are also ways that like, I, I didn't do it excellently. You know, I got, um, I would get sidetracked or like, I, Mm -hmm. there were times when I went into the shop that I didn't ask people questions when, like I said, I keep saying I have nothing to lose, but I, I, you know, I didn't always live up to that, but I think that, um, you know, I tried it and I got better at it. And, um, and, Mm -hmm. and so now, you know, After that, I studied abroad in Chile and studying abroad is a super, um, it was a steep learning curve for me. And, um, I used a lot of those things Mm -hmm. that I learned about, um, putting myself in places that felt like spaces that felt uncomfortable and asking people questions again, that's like, I have nothing to lose sort of deal. Um, and I interviewed a lot of people and, and, you know, I developed a thesis, um, That I, that I ended up really loving. It wasn't about fashion, but it was about migrants. And I think the more experience that I had Mm -hmm. working with diaspora populations gave me a lot more confidence to, to keep working. I'm not a person who has that experience as part of my life experience. And so, um, you know, I felt sometimes Mm -hmm. like I wasn't like qualified to work with people who were displaced. Um, but, you know, the more that I have worked, like, the better I think I've gotten at it. And, um, you know, I, I learned that I could go to the fashion show by asking people. And last <laughs> fall, I applied for a Watson Fellowship. And I had to ask lots of people who I did not know if I could work with them. And lots of them said yes. Some of them said no, mm-hmm. but lots of them said yes. And, um, and I won that fellowship. And that, that felt like such a gift and it felt like um, you know, like I re- like thinking about myself doing the project that I designed for the Watson Fellowship. Like I really think about myself going into Hendrix, being someone who who very desperately wanted to be mm-hmm. somebody who could do something like the Watson, but but really couldn't. <laughs> um, and and you know, thinking about <laughs> all of the work that I have done and the people who have helped me do that. Um, you know, to come into the person who I am now, uh, where this feels a lot more possible. That is, yeah, that's first of all. Thank you.
0: Congratulations <laughs> about the Watson. That is super exciting. That's that's like the dream. That yeah. that whole thing right there. Um, and really, it seems like your time at Hendrix,
1: mm-hmm.
0: not to simplify it, not to boil it down, but really helped you learn how to be
1: comfortable no, totally in being I think, uncomfortable. Um, yeah, I think that's a, one way to say a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> maybe yeah.
0: maybe we'll leave it at that then. Um, but thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, yeah, you too. I always love hearing of from course. you. So keep in touch. And um, thank you again. Yeah, for sharing. And, uh,
1: okay. okay. Yeah. Thanks so Bye. much.
0: For more information on the Odyssey program or Hendrix College, please join us at Hendrix.edu or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hendrix College. Thanks for listening.